Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for us gathering together and worshiping you this morning. Lord, I pray as we open up your word that you speak through it, that we can know you because of it, that we can respond in light of it, that we can take it to heart and mind, and that can truly transform us. Lord, I pray for this time as we dive into your word that you make it come alive so that we can honor you in all that we do. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So kids ask a lot of questions. If you ever had a kid, you probably know this, they ask a lot of questions. They can be pretty straightforward questions. Hey, what does that sign say? Or they can be funny questions like, I can't, why can't I see my eyes? Or they can be maybe embarrassing questions. What is up with that lady's hair? But whatever type of questions kids ask, they ask a whole lot of them. That's because their little minds are filled with curiosity and they want to understand and they crave knowledge and how do they find out how this world operates? By asking questions. Asking questions and they, they can understand things better. And that's just true for everyone. That questions give us the ability to understand something better. There's an ability that really smart people have of asking really good questions that I kind of envy. The smartest people in all the classes I ever take have taken are the ones that can ask those questions that pull implications from what's being taught and it shows how they're processing and you're like, wow, that's a really good question. I've never thought about that before. But they have this ability to ask the right questions because questions have a power to give understanding unlike almost anything else. But questions also have this power because when you ask a question, it reveals so much not only about what you're asking but also about who's asking. Now, when someone asks a question, it becomes very obvious, man, they did not understand what I was saying, did they? Or when someone asks a question, you can see, oh, they're understanding and they're following me. Or someone asks a question and you're like, you just did not understand that joke, did you? That's the story of my life. <clears throat> but questions have this power. We even have a game where we ask questions and we can guess what someone is thinking. Have you guys ever played 20 Questions? 20 questions is a game where you pick something, whether it is an object or a person, and then someone else has 20 yes or no questions they can ask, and hopefully they can narrow it down and guess who it is. That's how powerful questions are. They can read people's minds. Or maybe you played the kid version of it, Guess Who, where you had the little pictures of people, and you pick someone, and they ask questions back and forth. Is your person, does your person have a beard? And like, no, no. Because questions have this power to discover answers of what people have picked or what's going on in people's minds. There's a question and there's a power in questions. And so we come to John chapter 7 and we come to a chapter that is filled with questions. People are asking questions of Jesus. Jesus is asking questions of the people. The people are asking questions of each other. We see all these questions and I find it funny that there's 20 questions in John chapter 7. You can almost say this is what the original 20-question game happening here. As people question Jesus, and he questions them, and they question each other, and they are seeking to understand who this guy is. That In the gospel so far, the gospel writer, of the gospel of John, John has been presenting who Jesus is through looking at his teaching, through looking at his signs and wonders, looking at, his, at how he has healed people. But now he's kind of taking a different tact and he's using people's questions 
to see who Jesus is. And so let's open our Bible. This is John chapter 7. If you have your Bible, you can do that. If not, it's, you can follow on screen here. But we want to read the first 36 uh, verses of John chapter 7 and we, as we dive into some of these questions of who Jesus is. So it says this, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. After this, is he was in Jerusalem before, and he spoke about how he's the bread of life, and he has the words of eternal life, and now he's back in his home kind of town, his home region, and he's going about. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews' feast of Bruce was at hand, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he is, seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking, to, looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone will Everyone's will is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they, have said, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where the Christ, the, this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus said to him, I will be with you a little longer, and I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that he will not find him, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, 
And where I am, you cannot come. As you see, account filled with lots of questions about who Jesus is. And if I was going to sum up what this account might be teaching us is this. Ask of Jesus to know Jesus. This is the idea that if you want to know Jesus, where should you go for that information? To Jesus. Don't just look from, at Jesus from afar. Don't just take other people's opinions of Jesus. But you go to Jesus to know Jesus. And that's okay to approach Jesus and ask of him to know him, for that is where the only true knowledge of Jesus can come from, that we know Jesus by asking him questions of who he is. And he reveals himself to us through his word as we ask of him. Ask of Jesus to know Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a trend that I've seen in uh, Christianity or in some churches, thankfully not this church, but there's this trend that we can uh, kind of get afraid of asking hard questions about our faith. There's this trend that maybe people have said, hey, hey, don't ask that question. It gets a little awkward. Maybe I've seen this in, in, with like youth groups or with uh, um, younger kids. You know, they ask the question that almost everyone wants to ask. And like, well, well, let's not talk about that. There's this trend that people say, well, we shouldn't be asking those questions. But I would argue that actually the basis of our faith, that Christianity as a religion, one of the unique aspects of it is come and ask. That God himself says, come and ask me, test me on this, look at my word, that we should be asking and processing through this. That when we read the church growing and expounding, the people are planting churches, they say, don't take our word for it, go back to the scriptures and search and you see this is true. Ask of this and see if we're right. And I would say we need to almost cherish that. Because how do we grow in our faith? How would we grow in our faith when we hit that hard spots where we are grasping to understand and it gets uncomfortable? Maybe our paradigms are shifting. Maybe the word is convicting us and we ask questions of it and push through maybe some doubts we have and we can grow in our faith by doing that. I think that's what we should all do that we actually are reading our Bibles in a way where we can say, wait a minute, what does that mean? And what does that mean for my life? And what is Jesus saying here? And how can I follow this that we ask of Jesus to know Jesus? And this account starts off pretty quickly with some questions. This account takes place at the, the Feast of Booths, uh, in, in the Jewish feast of booths, and or some translations say shelters or tabernacles. Basically, this is a feast time of the Jews where they're remembering what God has done with the Israelites, that he's brought them out of Egypt, that he's, he's brought them into the promised land. And so how they celebrate this, how they remember this, is they were given a feast, that they were all to come together, and they were going to live in tents for a week to remember how God brought their ancestors out of Egypt and that their ancestors lived in tents for a whole long time. And so they were remembering this. And so people would come in and they would set up these, term, these temporary booths or tents, tabernacles, it's all the same kind of word, and they would live there and they had these ceremonies they would do all week long. And if you're interested in that, you can read Leviticus, was it, uh, 23, and you can see all about this feast of booths that, they, that was enacted that were supposed to remember um, God's work through that. 
And so this big feast is going on, and Jesus is, in, um, is in down in Galilee, and his brothers, his biological brothers, turn to him and say, hey, aren't you going up to Jerusalem? Aren't you going up to kind of declare yourself as the Messiah, the one sent by God? It's a feast time. It would be a great time for you to do this. And to that, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. I find it interesting in this text that it says the brothers did not yet believe in him. They did not, they did not believe he was the Messiah. So these were not his brothers saying, hey, I'm going to be a good campaign manager for you. We're going to get you on the right track. This would be the greatest time for you to step into the spotlight and show who you are to the people. Rather, they were kind of almost mocking or questioning, saying, why aren't you going up? If you're who you say you are, why aren't you proving that to the people? But Jesus says, my time has not yet come. It's that constant refrain we find throughout the book of John where he says, there's a timetable set by God and is, I'm going to turn my face towards Jerusalem when the time comes and that's going to result in me being crucified, me being killed for people, but that time has not yet arrived and so I'm not moving for that open confrontation with the authorities quite yet. I'm getting ready for it, but my time is not yet full excuse me, fully come for me to do that. So his brothers head up. And then it's almost like we have to ask the question, did Jesus just lie to him? Because then he follows them up after that. And I think that he's not lying. He's saying, I'm not going publicly because it says I'm going private. He goes privately. It's because they're seeking to kill him. And so he's not coming in the way people expect. And so the people are looking around at the feasts and they're saying, where is he? Where is Jesus? This crowd, this crowd that probably was made up of people who saw him feed 5,000, this crowd of people who maybe saw him when he was in Jerusalem before and he healed a man on the Sabbath, this crowd was asking the question, where is Jesus? This was the same crowd that probably wanted to make him king after he fed 5,000. This is the same crowd that was recognizing that this is the prophet that Moses spoke about. He was a man sent by God. And so if he was going to come and do his works, it makes sense for him to come during the feast. That this feast that remembers how God is working and bringing people out of, of, of Egypt, that makes sense that he's going to step up and declare who he is right now. So where is he? And Jesus was not working how they expected. He did not act how they wanted him to act. That he was on his own timetable, his own timeline, and he was going to operate in that and not how they wanted him. And they struggled with this. And I think when we see them start questioning about who he is, they say, well, he's a good man. And then some people say, no, he's leading people straight. You see this connection, I think, with him not working how they expect. And so they start to question his goodness, and who he is. What is he doing here? And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. For Jesus, God, does not work on our timetable but his own. He does not work on our timeline but his timeline. And he does things in ways we don't expect him to do. And that can be hard. And if we don't watch ourselves, we can be just like these people who caught up in confusion and start to question God's goodness or Jesus' goodness. I mean, that's real life, isn't it? Life does not go how we expect. 
And God does not work how we expect. And we can be caught up in that. And we go, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? I thought you loved me. I thought you were working all things for my good. And yet here I am experiencing grief. Here I am experiencing hardship. Here I am struggling. Where are you? Are you good? Don't you want my good? And we can struggle with that. That's just real life. That we can, we can lose a job and look around and like, where are you, Jesus? That we can lose a loved one and we can say, where are you, Jesus? I thought you weren't here with us. You're not doing what I expect. And we can struggle and we can start to question God's goodness but Jesus does not submit to our expectations or our timelines. And I think so much of our grief and our doubt can maybe be avoided, maybe be mitigated if we just understood that he works on his time and his ways. And that we might not expect it, but he does show up. For as we read on, Jesus shows up at the feast. Jesus does show up might not be how we expect. might not be even how, if we're honest, we want him to show up. But he shows up, and when he shows up, it is good because he is good. And we trust him rather than our own expectations of how he is working and how he's bringing about his plan. We trust him even in the midst of pain because he is good. So that whatever we're going through, we can trust that Jesus is going to show up and he's going to do good and he's going to be working in our lives, but it might not go how we think it's going to, should go or going to go. But Jesus comes up and he shows up in Jerusalem at this feast and in the middle of the feast, he starts to teach. And they marveled. Who is this man? Where did he get this learning? He hasn't studied before. Basically, they're saying, who is this man? We know he's a, a carpenter from uh, um, up there in Galilee, and yet he's teaching us, and we're marveling at him, and he has not gone to our rabbinic schools. He has not sat at the feet of our rabbis. So where did he get this learning? And Jesus basically responds to this question of who he is and where he gets this learning. He says, I get this learning from God. He's the one who sent me. And if you knew God you would recognize this teaching is from God. You would recognize that is who I am. That you would recognize that I am simply God to teach you God's ways and what he is doing. But they were confused. They were marveling at him and his teaching, but they were confused because they did not understand or believe who he was. At the end of the passage we read um, in verses 32 through 36, we see again this great confusedness when Jesus says, I'm going away, and the people are asking, where is he going? Is he going out amongst the Greeks? Or what does he mean? And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going back to God who sent me. And they're confused and they question. And so just like how they're confused about his teaching, these people are confused about where he's going. Why? Because they don't believe and understand who Jesus is. There's actually this really um, important aspect where belief and understanding are paired together. That when we have a belief of Jesus, we can understand who Jesus is. 
We understand his teaching. We understand his miracles pointing to who he is. We understand his trajectory and what he's going to achieve for us. When we believe in him, we understand him. But these people did not believe in him. And so when they approached his teaching, when they approached what he was doing, they were just confused. They did not know how to process this. And nowadays, when people come to understand Jesus, they almost come to this place where they want to understand him first and get a, a, a grasp of his teaching or what he's doing on the cross or what he's doing in his life without first coming to understand who he is and believe in him. But that's reversed. We have to understand him, believe in who he is to truly understand him. We have to ask of Jesus to know Jesus. So we have to come to him and say, who are you? What are you doing here? How are you working in this? And once we grasp that, we understand all his teaching, his miracles start falling in place. And we understand how he's working, that we truly understand his life and ministry if we can understand him. Ask of Jesus to know Jesus. So we see these questions that these people are asking, where is he how does he get this learning? And then Jesus starts to ask some questions of his own. And he's bringing about a little bit of that confrontation with the Jewish leaders. He starts asking them questions that's pointing to how they are not really mad at him because of the Sabbath. They're not really mad at him for breaking laws. They're mad at him because he's upsetting the status quo and their kind of power grasp on the people. And so Jesus starts asking questions about the law. He says, don't you have the law of Moses? And you imagine the people saying, yeah, we have the law of Moses. And he's like, none of you follow it. You all break it. That's actually the, the fundamental aspect of what the law does is that it kills us. That we can't follow God's law perfectly. That the law sits above us and condemns us. And that when we look at it, we realize that God is perfect and we're not. That when we look at it, we realize we can't do it, but we need someone who can to save us, to bring us out of that situation. And Jesus is building this tension and says, you don't follow the law. And I believe he's building that tension because he's, he's pointing to the fact that they need to look for the one who can save them out of their place. Him who followed the law perfectly. And then to illustrate his point about how the Jewish leaders don't really care about the Sabbath, he starts bringing these issues of circumcision to play. Now to us, most likely when we're reading this, um, we don't really care about circumcision. Maybe it goes over our heads. Maybe we don't understand what's going on here. Circumcision is a medical procedure to us in America that people question whether we should do or not. But here in this Jewish context, circumcision was a covenant sign that signified someone was of God's people. And Jesus says, you allowed people to be circumcised, which is a work, on the Sabbath because it was good for them to be part of God's people. How is that different from me healing someone on the Sabbath, making their body whole? It's not. They're two good things. And so these Jewish leaders are not mad about me breaking the Sabbath. What they're mad about is that I'm doing things in ways they don't expect, and I'm doing things that show that I have authority to actually interpret God's law and follow it how it's supposed to be followed, and that makes them uncomfortable, and so they're seeking to kill me because of that. 
And so we see that Jesus asks these questions and exposes the leader's hypocrisy and maybe their double standard. They didn't care about the law, so say, but they cared about what Jesus is doing and where he's leading their, uh, the people. And that's what happens when Jesus starts asking questions or when you come into a counter with Jesus. You get exposed. That these quest- his questions have a way of cutting us to the quick and, and laying us bare, that it exposes who we are, and that even nowadays, where we don't have that, con- that encounter with Jesus in the flesh, but we have encounters with Jesus in his word, and that when we approach him and we understand what he's saying through his word, it happens again and again. We get exposed. That the word cuts to our heart, lays us bare, it shows how our motivations are wrong, how they're short-sighted, how we're selfish, how we realize we're not living for um, God or others, but we're living for ourselves, and we realize we fall short, and we realize we need a Savior, we realize we need Christ. I love how Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of to him we must give account. That when we encounter Jesus through his word nowadays, he exposes us. And that if we let it, the, the text actually asks questions of us and what we have to answer and we have to process. And this is, gets uncomfortable because it shows how we fall short. It gets uncomfortable <laughs> Because it shows how we're sinners. We don't live up to a standard. But it's also good. Because we need to be exposed. We need to be exposed because if we're not exposed, we will die in our self-reliance. If humans are not exposed, we will go to our grave thinking we could do enough to earn God's favor. If we're not exposed, we will think somehow I will be justified by God on my own merit. But when he encountered Jesus, he says the law kills. No one follows it. And he exposes us. My son, when he was a lot younger, he went through an independent phase that was short-lived, and now he's really dependent. But... He was a short little guy, maybe I think he was two, but he wanted to do stuff on his own. And so he would grab his shoes and want to put his shoes on, and he had no concept of how a shoe went on a foot. But he wouldn't let me help him. He wanted to put the shoe on himself. And it took me asking, do you need help with that? To get him to let me put the shoe on. That the question exposed his inability to do that. I think about how I like, I like to shop Um, Well, I don't like to shop at all. Uh, How? The method in which I like to shop, that's a better way of saying it, is to walk in the store, get what I want, and get out. Preferably not talking to a single soul. And so I can walk through the aisles looking for what I need, just walking, looking. I think I can find it. I am independent. I am smart. I can figure out the shelving method in Walmart. And it takes someone saying, do you need help? exposing, this guy's walked past me like five times, it, to me to admit, yeah, I need help. And in the same way, the law exposes our accounting with Jesus, exposes us to admit, yeah, 
I need help. I cannot do it on my own. I don't have it all together. I cannot save myself. Only you can save me. And so we need to be exposed and encounter Jesus to be exposed by his word. So I just urge all of us to be in the word and let the word do its work. Honestly, ask it questions so it can ask you questions and you can wrestle with it so that you can be exposed by it and grow through it. Because today we encounter Jesus through his word and so we need to encounter him and be exposed by him. And when we do that, we realize we can't hide. We can't put on a facade that he can't see through. That he cuts to the quick and he shows us who we are. He, we see that we need him, we need a savior, and we need to respond to it. That we see our unworthy, uh, unworthiness, but we also see his great love, a love that makes us sons and daughters of the Most High. That we see our damnation and our sin, but we also see our salvation and the way he's working in us. So let the word do its work. Because that's how you get to that big section where they ask the big question, can this be the Christ? That these people around there, they're seeing his works and there's this confusion reigning about who Jesus is and they're questioning the authorities. They say, they're not arresting him, so maybe they believe. And you see these people saying, "If if the Christ was to come today, would he do more works than Jesus? And the question, and the answer is no. They recognize that this has to be the Messiah. This is the Christ, the one they are waiting for. And they're like, this is him. But is it? And they're struggling with who he is because he's not working how they thought he was going to work. And they're, they're struggling with that and they're trying to understand him and they're asking the question of him. Can this be the Christ? And that same confusion reigns so much in the world today. That people look at Jesus and they look at his church and they ask the question, well, is this the Christ? Is this the one that's supposed to save us? Is this the one that the Bible talks about? Is this the one that we're waiting for? Is this the one that can fill that void in my heart? Is this the one that can, come out, can somehow give purpose to my life? Is this the one that I need? Is this the one that can make sense of what I'm doing here on this plane? And they're asking this question and the confusion reigns. Can this be the Christ? And who is going to answer that for them? Where are they going to go for the answer? The only way we can know the answer is from his word. That We need to ask of Jesus to know Jesus. But how are they going to know that? And I think that means that we need to be sharing with everyone when confusion is reigning that there is an answer they, they can receive and know that they ask of Jesus to know Jesus. They can approach him and know him. What an amazing thing that is. For this is a question that places people into either one of two camps. And it sounds harsh and judgmental, but there is no gray area between these camps. It's either you know Jesus and you're going to be with God for eternity and he is working all things together for good in your life, that he has a plan for you and it's to prosper you as he defines prospering and he's going to, he, he's going to grow his kingdom using you. You're either in that camp or you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, you're looking for yourself for salvation, you're going your own way and there's only one 
way that leads, and that is to be separated from God's love for eternity, which is eternal death and punishment. And this question, can this be the Christ? How we answer that places you either in one place or the other. There's no getting around it. And so we need, we who know the, the question and we who know the answer, need to be sharing with everyone we possibly can as confusion reigns. This is the Christ. This is God in the flesh. This is the Son of the Most High, the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the prophet that was prophesied by Moses, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of our lives, the one we were created to worship from the very beginning, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, the one who created all that was made through him and by him and for him. This is the one who reigns in heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. This is the one who will reign forever and through every... And eventually, when he comes again, when he reigns as he has, is going to reign, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is the Christ, and we need to know him. And that you need to answer that question for yourself. Everyone needs to wrestle with that. Do you know who Jesus is? Wrestle with it. And then go to Jesus and ask him who he is. Ask of Jesus to know Jesus. Because there's a power in questions. So ask the hard questions. Seriously, go to Jesus and ask the hard questions that you struggle with, that give you doubt on how this world works. Ask of him. And we want to be a place, a church, where that is what we emphasize. Ask those questions. If you have doubts, don't just let those doubts linger and stay, but you push through those doubts and you ask those questions of the text. And you use us as a community to help you process through those questions. And so you can ask us hard questions and we, we go to find the answers together as we seek to know our Lord and follow him. Ask of Jesus to know Jesus. And But be warned, when we ask of Jesus, he asks of us as well, and we get exposed. He'll show you who you truly are. The great reformer John Calvin said this, Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. What's John Calvin saying here? He's saying, know God, you know yourself. Know yourself, to know that you need God. Know yourself to know, and know God to know that you're not God. That we can only come to a correct knowledge of who we are when we encounter Jesus and he exposes ourselves and we know who he is and we follow him. So know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? When you read these questions in this text, do you know how to answer those questions? as Jesus would answer him. For he is the only way of salvation. He is the only way we can follow to know God as he wants to be known and as he can be known. He is the only way that we can be saved from our sins, that we can find completion here and now. He's the only way that we have meaning. So ask of Jesus to know Jesus. Join me in prayer.
Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. A word that we can ask of and it helps us understand who you are. A word that we can process and, and uh, grow in our understanding of so that we can grow in our knowledge of who you are. And so Lord, I just ask that as we leave here, as we process through your message, as we continue to read your word, that we grow in our knowledge of you, that we know it, we share it, we preach it, we proclaim it. That we can know who you are through encountering you through your word. That it grows us. Deepens our faith and our knowledge and our devotion. Lord, we love you. We seek you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.